of prayers. And what I want us to do tonight is look at the prayers of busy people. I want us to look at the prayers for the student that is just trying to pass their AP exam. I want us to look at the prayers for the grandparent that is trying to help raise these grandkids. I want us to look at the prayer for the people that just quite frankly feel overwhelmed by the work that is in front of them. Because I'm never going to pray just like David. I can incorporate that language, but I think each of us see tasks right in front of us as we are pressing on to higher ground where we go, if it's up to me alone, this will not happen. But I'm turning to God. I'm praying to God to help me make progress. Wouldn't we say that there is no progress without well, I mean, come on, it's a lesson on prayer. You know what I'm putting in the blank. <laughs> but if it wasn't a lesson on prayer, if I could just back it up, what would we say goes there? Like, you're not going to make progress without great leadership. Or you're not going to make progress without sacrifice. Or you're not going to make progress without generosity. If it wasn't a lesson on prayer, how long down our own personal list would we have to go in filling in that blank? before we just acknowledge that there was no progress, certainly not towards this higher ground we're singing about, no progress without prayer. I ask you to take your Bibles to Philippians 1. I want you to please look at verse 12 and at verse 25 for a moment. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 and verse 25. Verse 12 says that I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Paul, how, how did you being stuck in jail lead to greater progress? Well, he said, yeah, that's what's happening here. And then you come down to verse 25. Although to live is Christ and to die is gain, what he ultimately realizes is that he will stay so that, verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. How are we making progress together? Sometimes we think about what our fellowship looks like, and we say, well, fellowship is like when a bunch of dudes all get tickets to the same football game, and they've got like this box suite, and they've got like tons of snacks and wings and M&Ms, and they're watching this game together. No, 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 no. Fellowship is, right, the men on the field trying to get that ball that way, and they're shoulder to shoulder, and they're sweating, and they're working, and they're trying to make progress together. I think as we think about pressing on the higher ground together, that we need to see what Paul could see in this church that he loved so much at Philippi, that without prayer, there would be no progress. And that the progress of the gospel is what we are interested in, right? That the progress of the gospel Sharing it with those that do not know our Lord and Savior is consuming our lives. And so I want us to take our attention to a very busy guy who is also a very prayerful guy. Like I said, I'm just, that's not me. If, if you needed a deep, deep lesson on the Psalms, you should have called somebody else. But if you needed somebody that's overwhelmed with the good work in front of us, like Nehemiah was, then you called the right guy. Because I think like Nehemiah, if you'll take your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1, we need these prayers that are just absolutely heartfelt. Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's look at several of his prayers this evening together. When we pick up here 
Nehemiah, of course, has heard a report in verse 3 from his brother about the city of Jerusalem and what devastating condition it is in. Verse 4 says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. I think people that are pressing on to higher ground need these prayers that are full of praise for God, right? To remember that this is not just a to-do list. This is not just asking for God to chip in a little extra help on our projects. This is looking at what he says in verse 5. I beseech you, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, to know that prayer changes things, right? Have you seen the memes going around on Instagram and Facebook that says, like, it takes zero talent just to show up on time? You know, it takes zero talent just to be grateful. It takes zero talent. And, like, there's this whole list of things. It takes zero talent. Just do your job well. And the world leaves out prayer. It doesn't matter if you're a one-talent Christian or a five-talent Christian, a Christian for the last five hours or the last 50 years. We have prayer on our side in our good works like Nehemiah does. And Nehemiah begins his prayer absolutely praising this great and awesome God. He comes in verse 6 and he says, I've got sins to confess. And you see in this passage both the intensity of his prayer and the frequency of his prayer. Did you notice that in verse 4 and again in verse 6? That he's praying day and night. I need to ask my stressed out friends here what you're praying about at 4 a.m. Because I know what I am. At 4 a.m. I'm praying about that family that's adopting and that has another setback and another hardship. And at 4 a.m., I'm praying about the Christians that I love that are battling a variety of types of addiction and the strong battles that they are fighting. What are you praying about at 4 a.m.? Because for Nehemiah, his heart is poured into this prayer day and night that what's happening back in Jerusalem, 800 miles away, it's just not right. It's just not the way things should be. And you don't even have to turn the news on to look around in our country and find things that should keep us up at night. Praying. Not worrying, not fretting, but bringing it before our awesome God. I, I could do the whole lesson tonight and just say, what is he praying about? That would be a little boring. We need to ask, why is he praying this way? Yes, he, he's praying about the destruction of the city and his desire to see it rebuilt. But he's praying about this because he says, God, not to be boastful or prideful, but I think I might be in a position to do something about this. I think I might be in a position here to lead your people 
and to bring you greater glory because I'm looking out at this situation and this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so day and night, he's pouring his heart out. It keeps him awake. I think there are certainly things that should be keeping us awake. We see in verse 7 down to verse 10, the way he is confessing and the way that he is expressing his faith. Verse 7, we've acted very corruptly against you. We've not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you command your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying that if you're unfaithful, then I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and you do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote parts of the heavens, I'll gather them from there and bring them to the place where I've chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Look at his faith in this. Phrase after phrase showing his confidence. Is this on, guys? Is this on? Can you hear me in the back? Okay, good. It just sounds different. Right, he's, he is confessing and he's showing his great faith, a great belief in God, knowing that God is a covenant keeper, right? Knowing that even though they have broken their side of this covenant, they can put their confidence in the Lord to continue to redeem and continue to hear the prayers of his humble people. So that in verse 11, he then asks for God's favor. O oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servant who delight to revere your name. Make your servant successful today. Grant him compassion before this man. Now, I understand that you guys just wrapped up vacation Bible school. That's a big job, isn't it? Right? There's a lot of tired people here if you just wrapped up vacation Bible school, where my parents worship. They got into that routine of saying, we're going to do these four VBSs, and we're going to rotate them every four years. And one of their themes was called Home Again Heroes. Home Again Heroes, right? Coming out of the captivity. So we're looking at Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And to me, one of the most powerful themes in all of these books for this time period of God's history is the way that each one of those Home Again Heroes is absolutely dependent on God's favor. Remember what Ezra did in his prayers, right? Ezra says, we've been telling everybody that our God is the God of heaven, and so I was too embarrassed to ask for a military escort. I've prayed, God, you protect us. You be the one that help us on this long journey. Ezra's depending on God's favor, right? What is Esther doing? She's absolutely fasting. She asks all of her friends to fast depending on God's favor. Look at verse 11 again. Nehemiah is doing it as I go and I speak. Yes, sir. See, I knew it sounded different. servant success today grant him compassion before this man i was cupbearer to the king we need to remember the favor of god 
and the way that he works on the behalf of the people that are humble enough to confess their sins and know that they need to turn to him. Nehemiah wants to see a big change back in Jerusalem. And I just think there are those things that we would like to see a very big change in as we are pressing on towards higher ground. So come with me to the next chapter, please. Chapter 2 and verse 4. As Nehemiah enters the throne room of the king, we see one more very quick prayer in verse The ones that we nickname the arrow prayers. You're just shooting them up every day. You're shooting them up while you're driving. You're shooting them up while you're brushing your teeth. You're shooting them up while you're throwing the baseball with your kids in the backyard. You're just constantly coming back to God and praying. This is what Paul, of course, describes in 1 Thessalonians, right? As praying without ceasing. Nehemiah is looking for God's favor in these good works. And he's depending... Atlanta seven years ago, we have a very strange arrangement. My job is not really to preach in the pulpit. I get to do that about twice a month. My job is to try to have 10 to 20 one-on-one -on -one Bible studies every week. And I'm zigzagging all over that city, but never at 8 a.m. traffic, no. Uh, but I'm zigzagging all over the city trying to have studies everywhere. And this is way different than just sitting in my office and writing one more sermon. It is these daily circumstances that leave me feeling overwhelmed. And as Nehemiah is standing there, he knows what he intends to do. He knows that he has this loving relationship with the king where, where the king notices, hey, you're not having a very good day today. But he's depending on God in his prayer without ceasing. I think the other side of this is this frequent communication with God, right? What does it mean to be praying without ceasing, to be shooting up these arrow kind of prayers? I think it comes back to realizing that I do need God in every one of these circumstances. And connected with that is what the great truth we get from Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, that we are able to come before the throne of God and find help and grace. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, the scripture says to us, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I told you that I'm not going to do the whole psalm eloquent thing, but you know who does? C.S. Lewis. And you know what C.S. Lewis says we should do as we visualize what it means to pray? Because God is not restricted by time. And when you stop in the middle of your day to pray, it's not so much that you should visualize that you're in line with a million other people and that God is somehow dividing his attention between the millions of people that are praying to him at that moment. To God who is outside of time is able to give your prayer his full and complete attention. When I go on a date with Tracy, I intentionally don't sit on the side of the booth where you can see whatever is playing on the TV at the restaurant. Because I'm going to be like eating, eating, oh, golf. And I don't even like golf. You know, but like something about that glowing screen. And uh, when you give somebody your undivided attention, 
It's one of the highest expressions of love and respect. And when we pray, C.S. Lewis says, conceptualizes, visualizes, understands that you're not waiting in line. You're approaching the throne of our all-powerful God who brings favor, who brings grace and help in that time of need. What a privilege. What an absolute privilege. So this journey calls for these immediate prayers. And, and although our, our context here in Nehemiah chapter 2, he's clearly asking for help and strength and wisdom and, and favor as he asks this petition to the king, don't we also understand that praying without ceasing also means expressing our gratitude? There's a podcast that I listened to, and I loved this quote. Gratitude is not just an attitude. It's something that needs to be expressed. Because no matter how grateful I am for the blessings that other people have brought into my lives and the blessings that God has brought into my life, until I say something about it, until I actually express it, it kind of reads as ingratitude, right? And I can be full of gratitude in my heart, but unless a thank you comes out, Unless a text message gets sent, unless one of those cute little cards from Hallmark goes in the mail, like something has to happen to move it from an attitude to an expression. And we're being reminded in these immediate prayers to just think about how much we truly have to be grateful for as we journey to higher ground. Now, chapter one, he's in distress. Chapter two, he's in the throne room. But most of life is not just sitting in a throne room surrounded by all the resources to solve our problems. A lot of life is out there on the battlefield, isn't it? And as Nehemiah takes up this work, he is going to be caught between the forces of good and evil. As he goes to Jerusalem, he is going to be opposed by those that had political and regional power in the vacuum of Jerusalem's destruction. And so I think not only do we need these heartfelt prayers and these immediate prayers, but we need some battlefield prayers. Look with me at chapter 4 for a moment. Hear, O oh, our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. What's going on in chapter 4? We see that he's working. If we come down to verse 6, we see we built the wall. Uh, the whole wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. As energetic and as zealous as these people had been, as sacrificial as they had been, they were still getting pushback from all of their area neighbors. And so Nehemiah has to start praying a real battlefield kind of prayer. What does that look like for us? Well, I think the lesson of verse 4 and 5 is that we're asking God to take his enemies, not just our enemies, but his enemies, and go ahead and give them a taste of their own medicine. And, and that's an awkward prayer. You don't usually have that as your closing prayer on Sunday morning, do you, right? But, but this is a real prayer for doers. That Nehemiah is saying, you know what, they need to reap what they sowed. And why is that an appropriate prayer? Because what this kind of prayer acknowledges is that vengeance belongs to the Lord. As much as I might want to shout back, as much as I might want to lash out, 
as much as I might want to take matters into my own hand and think that through my own human anger I could bring about righteousness, James says that doesn't work. And Nehemiah knows that doesn't work. So he prays these a battlefield kind of prayers where he's saying, God, this is in your, this is in your court, this is in your domain, and you have the ability to let them have a taste of their own medicine, to let them be defeated in their evil pursuits. And let's just get real blunt for a minute. We have corporations in America that are pushing sinful behaviors in their media, and it's a good thing when we pray. Let that go horribly for them. Let that not prosper. Let them suffer the consequences of opposing God, not because I'm taking it into my own hands, but because, God, they've chosen something wicked, and you see it. And we're depending on you to act against this. Nehemiah knows what it's like to be out there on the battlefield. I think the second kind of battlefield prayer we need to remember is what Paul mentions back in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. There is some obvious New Testament applications to this for us as Christians. In Colossians chapter 4, he says to us in verse 2 and verse 3, Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving and praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned and that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. That has got to be my favorite evangelism prayer in all the Bible. We have a lady right now that just... Um, bumped into a friend at a birthday party for her kids that go to the same school. And she just started talking about where she goes to church. And then this, this mother that she's never met before this birthday party shows up with her husband and children on Sunday. And we get to the end of the service and the husband pulls me aside and says, I want to know why you don't have a band. And we start going through the scriptures. He goes, well, that's, that's straight from the Bible. And he starts asking other questions. And we go through the scriptures. He goes, I really like the way you guys use the Bible to answer these questions. We've got to pray on the battlefield for these open doors because they're everywhere. And you would think, oh, this guy's an evangelist. This probably comes easy. No, 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 no. It, Paul needed that prayer. Roger, we need that prayer, right? This is, this is Philip's story. Ben Hall was one of our co-laborers. He's up in Brooklyn, New York now. And I can remember about two weeks after Ben left Atlanta, and moved to Brooklyn. We had this wonderful Chinese couple come in and sit kind of over here in the building and finish the lesson, standing in the back, shaking the hands, right, doing the thing. And I thought, if Ben were here, Ben would totally go over and ask them if they want to study the Bible. Philip, get yourself over there. So I go and I introduce myself to Chiliang and to Jennifer. And I said, like, hey, would you, like, would you like to study the Bible? And he said, that's what we've been waiting for. We just moved here for me to start my job at Georgia Tech. I've been reading the Bible for five years. I've decided evolution isn't true, but I'm not so sure about the Old Testament story. Could you help me? Yes! Yes! He's the best Bible student I've ever worked with. He and his wife were both baptized within about a year, and now he is teaching his friends over the internet back in China. One of his friends just told him last week, man, if I had a preacher like you here, I would go to church. 
We need to pray for these open doors because they're closer than we think. And God is looking for soldiers pressing onto higher ground that want to bring others with them. We've got to pray for these open doors. Ephesians 1. Can you go to Ephesians 1? This one's getting closer and closer to my heart. This is my prayer for our high school students. My daughter turned 13 on Friday. So we are only teenagers in the house now. It's just like this whole new thing. Yeah, I see the grins. Like, we're just at that stage. I read a blog article that said, hug the cactus. That's what we're trying to do. Hug the cactus. <laughs> this has been my prayer for all of our high school students for a few years now. When Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 19, I think he's addressing the things that our kids need on this battlefield we call school, and on this battlefield we call 2023, and that we call smartphones. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. I would not want to be dating in the smartphone era. And I would not want to be answering the questions of my non-believing friends in the YouTube era. We need this prayer for the next generation because the battle is getting more and more intense. And I can remember growing up and I can remember people saying like, look, every generation thinks that they have it really hard, but it's really not that different from the previous generation. Y'all, it's different. It's different. I'm going to just tell you the story. In the first two weeks of my son's time in high school, he was only hit on by boys. It's different. And our kids need this prayer. I'm just going to ask you to bow with me for a moment. Dear God, dear Lord Jesus Christ and Father of glory, we pray for our next generation that you would give them wisdom beyond their years, that you would give them a heavenly wisdom for these battles that wage around us. That you would help them see the incredible blessing of being exposed to the revelation of your knowledge. That you have given us the story of the world and the story of our redemption. That you've answered the biggest questions of life and you show us what's next. Father, help these young people to treasure the insights and wisdom that you provide. God, open their eyes, not their eyes to the filth and the corruption of this world, but the eyes of their heart for true enlightenment in your word, for a wisdom that has served your people for thousands of years in distinguishing between what is right and what is wrong. Dear God, please bless this next generation. Bless them, Lord, with great hope 
knowing that they are still salt and they are still light and there are souls that you are redeeming and that as dark as our world is, your gospel is more powerful and that the message of Christ is more compelling than the ridiculous arguments of our postmodern society. Dear Father, help them catch a glimpse of the riches of your glory, of eternity with you away from all temptation, away from all struggles, and away from all corruption. Help them, Lord, to be fascinated, not with technology, but with your holiness. And Father, may we always lean on the surpassing greatness of your power. When we feel alone, when we feel surrounded, when we feel overwhelmed by the task, may you lift us up. May you, Lord, give us strength according to your great might. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Higher ground calls for prayers for the battlefield for this generation and the generation to come. And you can see in this context here that we also have to request strength from the Lord. Come back with me to Nehemiah again to chapter 6. Before I put it on the screen, I just need you to read these verses with me, please. Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to read verse 1 down to about verse 9. Nehemiah chapter 6. I can't possibly come to this book without covering these verses. When it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent messages to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Sipharim in the plains of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot Come down. Pause with that awesome phrase. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Moms, you are doing a great work. Don't come down from that work. Everything does not have to be Pinterest perfect. Okay? You are doing great work with those kids. Keep doing that work. Don't get distracted. Dads. Dads, you are doing what so many dads aren't. I can remember taking the kids to the mall, to the little squishy play area, and I looked around. Every single dad was staring at his phone except for me. And other people's kids were coming up to me saying, did you see that? Dads, you're doing great work. Don't come down. Elders, it's exhausting. I know you're praying at 4 a.m., you're doing great work. You cannot come down. And all of us sit there and say, yeah, I, I get it. I know the value of this work, but I think I have to come down. I think I need a break. I think I need to disconnect. Let somebody else carry this burden. Rather than step, us, rather than step away and rather than step aside, let me encourage you to do what Nehemiah did. Keep reading. Verse 3, why should the work stop? while I leave it and come down to you. So they sent messengers to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. So Sanballat sent servants to me in the same manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Let's just start a rumor. An open letter in his hand, and it was written. It's reported among the nations, 
And Geshem says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you're rebuilding the wall. And you are to be their king, according to these reports. You've also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you that a king is in Judah. And it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So now, let us take counsel together. So I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done. You are inventing them in your own mind for all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking that they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands, strengthen my hands. We don't walk away from the work. We may need to take, we may need to catch our breath. But we don't walk away from it. Instead, we ask for God's strength. And it's so interesting that we kind of struggle with this as Christians. Is God really going to answer that prayer? Is God really going to give me strength to do that next thing? Now, we don't at all doubt that God gave Samson tremendous strength. But we're just not entirely sure if God is going to give us any strength. Take your Bibles back to Isaiah with me, please. Don't we love this beautiful, beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28? We literally sing it. I think we believe it. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Again, let me be impossible to misunderstand. I don't expect to have the strength of Samson. That's not what I'm saying. But I absolutely believe that God gives us more strength to carry on in fulfilling his will. In John chapter 4, what did Jesus say? The apostles went into the city to get food and they came back and they're like, what are you doing? We thought you were worn out. It's like, no, 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 I have a food that you don't know about. I have a source of strength that you don't know about. I'm so focused on doing the will of the Father. That is my strength. We need to pray for strength and we need to pray for that with great faith that God answers that prayer. Because there are marriages that need your help. They need you to come alongside them. There are teenagers that need your help. There are visitors that want somebody to say, would you read and study the Bible with me? And we get tired, but God answers prayers for strength. And finally, like Nehemiah, I think that we need prayers together. Would you come with me to chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9? When we come to this chapter, I understand a whole lot of things are going on in this chapter. They're assembled, they're recounting God's blessings and the history of God's goodness to his people. They're doing that in an acknowledgement that they still need this covenant. But I think it's just so special that they're not doing this all alone. They are truly doing this together. Together, we need to be praying about the goodness of God. That means five minutes, right? Yep, that means five minutes. So let me tell you about Steve. Steve is a deacon back at Embry Hills, and I have gone up to Steve after church, after he leads one of these fantastic open-air closing prayers. I said, Steve, 
I need you to teach my son to pray. Because when Steve prays with us together, he weaves in what's happening today and what's been printed in the bulletin and these amazing biblical phrases like no one else I've ever met. And it's not lofty and poetic, and it's, it's not me either. It's just Steve, and he's just so good at it. And aren't we grateful that we get to hear the prayers of our brothers and sisters in those kind of settings? Whether it's a ladies' day, and y'all are all praying together. What our women are doing in two weeks, our women are all getting together at 5 p.m. just to pray for our students going back to school. And then they have all the kids' names on these little paper discs, and they pass those out so that you pray for that kid through the rest of the year. We need prayer together. Prayer that celebrates the goodness of God and prayer that helps us express, truly express, what's going on in our hardships. Here in chapter 9 and verse 32, Nehemiah says, Our God, great, mighty, and awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness, do not let all of the hardship seem insignificant before you. We are asking God, God, you see these problems even, even better than we see them. Please do not let that be insignificant before you. Look at verse 36. Behold, we are slaves today. As to the land which you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, we are slaves in it. He said, Lord, please see these hardships. I would guess that a lot of you are like me. You're praying from 1 Timothy for that quiet and peaceful life full of godliness. Because it's getting harder and harder to find that little corner of the world where there's a quiet and peaceful life, where godliness can abound. That's a prayer for God's people today, and that's a prayer for us together. And of course, in this chapter, they are speaking together of their failures and the commitment that they're making. Verse 37 it is ab its abundant produce is for the kings whom we have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies, over our cattle as they please. We are in great distress because of all of this. We are making an agreement in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. Together, we're charting a new course. We're going to be back on track in honoring this incredible covenant that you have given us. Guys, I just think Nehemiah is the excellent example of praying when you're busy and you're pushing forward to higher ground. And I hope that this study tonight has been helpful for you in having those kind of prayers in your life. Thank you so much for your attention.